Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. How's everybody doing? Good? Happy Super Bowl to y'all. Uh, just to go ahead and get the, uh, address the elephant in the room, um, I had COVID last week. I tested positive. Uh, I'll get all the questions. I, I, I literally, at the 9 o'clock service, I got like 100 texts. You got COVID? Um, and so, yes, I did. I was very fortunate. I had mild symptoms uh, and uh, vaccinated. So just, you know, you don't send me all the emails and all the different things. But I'm just really, really appreciate all the, the thoughts and people are concerned. And I did fine. I feel fine. Um, and I would say I appreciate Clay filling in, but Clay did not fill in. Um, Clay launched the series. Uh, one of the things that I am so excited about at our church, we've been talking about this for a while, is, is voice. And I'm very fortunate uh, to be a part of a lot of team of people who are contributing their voice and working alongside of me um, to help us understand and discern what God is doing in and through our church and how we uh, lead our church from this particular uh, position. So I trust that y'all enjoyed Clay. And Clay, thank you for launching um, the service last week. I'm glad we're not, we're getting behind the days where people are filling in. We're like doing this together, and that's a really important um, thing for us. So um, he launched a series last week uh, called Social, uh, and it really is about learning how is it uh, that we learn to exist as a new humanity. So I want to begin to ask you a question um, as we kind of begin our time uh, this morning, and that is how do you affect other people? How do you affect other people? When you show up in a moment, in a circumstance, what do people perceive or how do they respond or how do they feel about you? Uh, Jeff Henderson at North Point asked this question this way. He said, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Right? How do you show up? How do you affect people? When you show up in your home, when you show up in a meeting, when you show up in, you know, whatever, you're at the ballpark, when you show up at your kid's practice, when you call your coach, your kid's coach, <clears throat> when you call, you know, a coworker or an employee or an employer, how do people, when they see your number on their phone, they go, whew, better take a deep breath. Like, how do you affect people? Because one of the things that this is about is really getting a vision for what you and I bring to the world around us, about how it is that we learn how to navigate and what it means to be a people of God, a community of faith, to learn how to understand that social isn't just a game where our status is measured to see what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you have or what your wealth is or how, you know, where you dress. It's not, it's not a game for this, but rather it's a way in which we show up and we participate and we represent the new humanity that is created by and defined by Jesus Christ. And this is really our, our pursuit in this series. So I want to begin this time uh, in the same way that Clay closed us last week by reading this prayer. And I, I love read prayers. I used to not, but it's been a discipline of mine for about the last 10 years. I read uh, prayers from other people, uh, liturgies and such, because it gives me words. Uh, it helps me consider things that perhaps I would not have considered or saying things the way that I would not consider to say, but I desperately need. So I trust that as, we, as I read this and pray this over you, um, as we begin um, our time together, you will kind of hear that and sense that and just make this your prayer as we make it our prayer. So if you'll join me, I want you to take a deep breath, right? We need this. 
just relax, and then you can just, you know, you can hold your hands in front of you, close your eyes, bow your head, and let's pray together. God, our Father, I understand that it is not about me, and yet I still want it to be about me and to be for me. It's still there. I'm getting the picture that you are more interested in we rather than just me. I sense that there is this way you want to locate me and work with me within a bigger context of others. I sense you'll need to break my fierce and rugged individualism in order to bring me home into a people. And that scares me. I like control. I'm comfortable with me, myself, and I, and with you, of course. Lead me to the place that this is both corporate and personal. Lead me to the we, where something tells me that I will become a different kind of me. I pray in Jesus' name, who is with you and the Holy Spirit, who with you and the Holy Spirit reign as one God forever and ever. Amen. Clay mentioned uh, last week, and again, as, as I think about this, <clears throat> what I want to do today is I want to, we've been painting this picture that there's a new humanity, a new thing that God has done. And to be honest, you know, when I, when I think about this, a lot of us, we don't really see the way of life under the rule of God's love, the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom. We don't really see this as a different way of life. We just see it sort of as a, an addendum onto what we already like, enjoy, know, feel comfortable with, whatever that might be. If you think about this, the language of the Bible is that we have been born again. And if this, weren't, if this way of life weren't radically different, you wouldn't need to be born again. You would only need to be improved. And a lot of us don't really have a category of this. The call of the gospel is to come and to die in order to experience a resurrection, for things to be done away with in order for new things to be birthed. It is a fundamentally different way. It requires a radical reorientation. That's what we talked about last week. It's a radical reorientation into this new way, this new way of thinking about things. And Clay opened us with this passage or used this passage to introduce us to the series found in Ephesians um, chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. We'll be looking in, uh, in Ephesians 4. But I just want to read this um, as we kind of begin our time and to get set our, our vision for this. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. He is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh with the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create uh, in himself, uh, out of two, uh, create, to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both them to God uh, through the cross, by, both of them to God through the cross, by which he has put to death uh, the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There's this emphasis that there are these, this division, the separation, and he is constantly calling us and removing anything that separates or divides. And he does this not by addressing issues. He does this by addressing our identity. This is really important for us to understand. A lot of us think sort of subtly that if you just got on board with what I think is important, then we would be one. And Jesus says, no, if you get on board with who you really are, then you will be one. And this is a really fundamentally different way, which is why we have to be radically reoriented to this way of life. Much of my life, 
the gospel was reduced for me into sort of a message about the afterlife. And that's the truth to that. It's just, it's just short-sighted. The gospel is about God coming to us, coming for us, coming to us, for us. It's about him making way, about his kingdom here and now and on earth as it is in heaven. It's about all of these things as we learn how to walk with him and bring his way to bear on the world around us as we are more fully formed into his image. And much of my life was devoted to sort of reducing the gospel into these categories of black or white or right or wrong and do this. And what happens is the, the, the subtle belief that emerges from this is that the image of God is best expressed in my correct morality. And most of us, that's what we have grown up with. That's, that's been the, sort of the message of the church, that the image of God is for us to look a particular way in our morality and the things that we value and hold to be true. Not untrue, just incomplete. The image of God isn't born in how moral, how good, how upright, how well-behaved you are. It's born in the way we love. And there is, there is the more I read the Bible, the more I saw this, the more it kind of bothered me because love felt like, oh, we're just going to all get along and this is going to be so lame. And, and I've come to see that love is this force that does something. It's, it's the force of God himself and his image. We need to get a vision for this. So Clay mentioned last week, he gave us a list of things that Jesus has done for us. Right? He said that we're blessed with all spiritual blessing. We're adopted as sons and daughters. He calls us beloved. He calls us saints. When's the last time someone looked at you and said, oh, you are my beloved? Right? Probably not a while. It's probably been a while since someone said that to you. Like, you ought to try that sometime. Just look at your best friend and go, you're, you're my beloved. Right? See, that's how it goes. He calls these endearing, these beautiful, um, kind of vision-filled words. He says that we are saved, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're sealed. We're made alive, we're raised up, and we're seated with him. We're established with him. We live on this foundation. And he gives us this other list. He says that he himself is our peace. He, we have a new identity and a new citizenship, and he is the cornerstone. He, we have a new foundation. Just to read this again, let's make sure that we understand what the purpose of this is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and we'll read this together on the screen. It says what? His purpose was to do what? To create in himself, let's read it out loud together, one new humanity. Doesn't get any clearer than that. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. What this means, and you've got to make note of this, is that we all love to talk about things being new. That's exciting. Except what we forget is that when things are new, it inherently means that they are unfamiliar. He has called us and created in himself, in himself, a new humanity. <clears throat> we need a radical reorientation, and Clay introduced this, launched us into this last week, addressing a couple of things. We talked about this, he says that everything that Jesus has done for us ought to affect everything about us. When you begin to understand and contemplate God's grace and his mercy and his love for you and for me, it, it has a shaping component on how we interact with the world around us. It changes us. It shapes us. It forms us. 
And so because this is a new and unfamiliar culture, way of life, right, there are needed skills that we need to navigate a new culture. There's some things that we need to know to learn, to understand some skills to navigate this unfamiliar place that we've been bought into, bought with his blood. <clears throat> so I don't know if you guys have ever been to a, another country or a place where you were just completely out of sorts in another culture. Have you ever been? If you've been I've been fortunate uh, to have traveled, you know, lots of places in the world. I've been to, to Africa uh, multiple times. I've been um, to Europe several times. And, you know, some, some countries are, are very friendly uh, to Americans. Like, you go to a lot of countries, they speak, like, a bunch of languages. We're, we're like, we only speak one. Like, we, English, that's all we got. And they speak a lot of languages. And so they're kind of friendly to you because the menus and a lot of the street signs and things will have, you know, their language. And they're like, okay, for all the people who don't know our language, here's English for you. And, and so, so I've been there. And but if you've ever been to a country, and we were in Kenya one time, we went out back in, you know, way back with some locals, and there was nothing that was familiar, and you were so discombobulated. And in 2017, I got a chance to go to India. And India was, is, is an extraordinary place. It's, it's, it's beautiful. There's, it's, it's, it's got uh, the colors. There's a lot, of, you know, a lot of problems, a lot of poverty, a lot of things that you classically hear about India, the poverty and such, but it was an incredible experience. And one of the things that the way I try to describe this is India would be like, if you've been in Wilmington um, for very long, you know about the Azalea Festival. It's like the Azalea Festival everywhere. It's like everywhere you walk, there's like people rubbing shoulders with you, people two steps in front of you, people two steps behind you, people trying to get in between you, people going too slow, people stop. It's just, it's people packed everywhere. It is so crowded everywhere you go. And, and you, you take some getting used to because they, 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 don't, they don't queue. I remember trying to figure this out. They're like standing in line to get something. They go, we don't queue. I'm like, what, is, what, do, what do you mean by queue? Like a queue line. They don't line up. They just go. And whoever gets there first, and, and it's just, that's how they do things. And I remember, you know, the, the most bizarre part of being in India was driving. Now, if you think about a normal place in America, right, like say College Road or one of your main drags at wherever you might be from, there's four lanes and a couple of turn lanes and whatever. And people, for the most part, they stay in their lanes, right? They're all in their lanes for the most part. And when there's a red light, most people stop. And if they do, the people behind them stop, right? We're all in the same place. People kind of typically, if the red light's red, they typically stop. If the red light's green, they typically go. Where there are white lines, they typically stay between them. There's kind of a written rule that we all kind of go, okay, we're going to drive like this together. In India, you're in there, and like literally, when there are four lanes, there are like eight rows of vehicles. And whenever something merges in, it's just a point. There is no... It's, you're, and you, and I, I wish I could describe this to you because you literally can't believe what's happening. We're driving there and there are, and it's like there's, there's trucks that have 18 wheels. There's vans like we were in. There's these, uh, they call them tuk-tuks. They're little three-wheel like go-kart type things and people just hanging out of them. There's mules. There's, um, uh, you know, dogs. There's bikes. There's motorcycles. There's mopeds. And there's pedestrians. And they're all just there together. And there are literally times, and I, I was taking pictures. I wanted to show you some pictures, but I, I didn't even do it justice. There are places where we're driving, and you're literally like inches from the car next to you. And, you, and you're, you're just like, we're going to die. We're going to die. I can't. We're going to die. And the whole time, it's like you're torn. Like, am I going to die? Or is this really? You just, you, your brain can't get around it because it's so crazy. And so we're driving like this, and like by the third or fourth day, I'm looking over at our driver, and he is, like, if we're in America, you're going to get in a fight. Like, you're going to be fighting in America if you drive like this. And he's uh, in there, and he is 
completely unfazed. I'm like looking at him going, do you not see what is going on around, around us? Like, are you not worried for your life that we're all going to die? And he was completely unfazed. Do you know why he was unfazed? Because it was completely normal. Now, for me, I, I still, I, I, I mean, I, I, the whole time, I was like just anxiety. My heart's beating. I'm on the edge all the time. You know how like when someone, and you're just like freaking out the whole time. And he was just totally fine. So I asked Bruce, one of our drivers, said, Bruce, you got to tell me, because he's lived in America, some he's lived in India, so you got to tell me about the driving thing. I said, because I can't for the life of me, because like literally nobody stops. They don't stop at red lights. The lights are red, they just all meander and merge. And, and there was one time, I'm not making this up, we were coming through, there was, we were on a, a car, there was a bus, a pedestrian walked in front of us and stood just like this while both of us passed him. Like I was like, you know, in America, you like, I got the shakes for like, you know, 20 minutes, you got to go park your car and go, oh my gosh, I almost hit somebody. Nobody, like nobody blinks. And you're just like, you can't believe this. So I'm saying, what is, the, what is the deal with the driving thing? And he said, oh, it's really simple. He said, as a driver, you're responsible for everything that's 180 degrees and in front of you, and that's it. So in other words, once you pass someone, you just cut in front of them. It is their responsibility to get out of your way. And that's just, and like everybody just, and you're just like, you, you can't believe it. So after this goes on for a couple of days, we're over there, like, you know, we're, we're, we're eating the food and we're driving and you're, 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 your heart rate's like this and and, we're, and the other thing is eating was kind of adventure because they have a thing called deli belly. And it's like anything you eat, you don't really know, you might get deli belly. And I don't want to get into more detail than that, but they just call it deli belly for a reason. I'm like, I don't want to get deli belly, so I'm always kind of eating. So one night we were there, and man, I was just like, oh, just like, oh gosh, I can't get oriented. And we found some food that looked familiar. And so we picked up the phone and we called and we ordered this. <laughs> yes! In India, I'm not making this up. Goop soup, blah, blah, so you can see, you can enjoy with it. So it's India Domino's. Now, Sunday night, sometimes I, I eat pretty decent uh, as a rule, but on Sunday night, sometimes and I'm done on Sunday morning, I want a thin crust pepperoni Domino's pizza, man. That's what my family's like, what do you want? I want a thin crust Domino's pizza. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, finally, I can get some Domino's pizza. Let me tell you, this Domino's pizza was nothing like American Domino's pizza, <laughs> but I didn't care. Do you know why? Because it was familiar. It helped me orient to a place where I was really, really, really sort of starting to get kind of discombobulated. And here's what I want you to understand. When we get unsettled, when we get unsettled with familiar things, we will be drawn back to familiar things. When you get unsettled in this unfamiliar new way of life, you are going to be drawn back into things that are familiar. And it's okay when it's Domino's Pizza. It's another thing when it's an identity that you ain't created to be. And this is exactly the tension that we start to see in what Paul is addressing in this letter and what you and I need to get our heads and our, hand, our hearts around. So we're going to pick this up in chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This will be on the screen and he's just basically gone through and says, you know, there's a futility of thinking. He goes to this, this, this category of, of list about our old selves. And then he says this, he says, but you did not learn about Christ like this. If indeed you heard about him and were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. And he sort of sets up this standard, just as the truth is in Jesus. You were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man who is being corrupted uh, in accordance with deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes with the truth. Now, if you've been listening to me very long, when I talk about the gospel, I always begin in the garden, right? You know this. 
The gospel begins in the garden where God created us to participate with him. In the beginning, God made male and he made them female and he made them in his own likeness. That's what he is talking about here. The beauty of this, this renewed spirit, this new man, new humanity is the word, new humanity, has been created in God's image, in his likeness. You were made to be like God. That's the picture. That's the Genesis picture. What he's saying is all this is about is about you being redeemed into the way in which you have been created. To put on a new, the, the word is uh, uh, anthropos. And it's, it's where we get our word, uh, not, not the store anthropology, where you get anthropology, like what you study in college. You talk about humans. It's the big identity. Put on this, who's created in, in this image of God and righteousness and holiness that comes with the truth. It's not talking about that comes with facts about God or facts about morality or facts about the positions that you hold. That's not what he's talking about. There's something else. We're going to look at that in just a minute, but he goes on because this is where a lot of us get tripped up. He goes on, he says, therefore, because you've been, these things have occurred, therefore, having laid aside all falsehood, each of you should speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. There's this oneness, this people that comes together. And then he goes on, be angry and do not sin. You've probably heard that before. Don't give the devil a foothold. He talks about um, our work ethic. He talks about generosity. He talks about sexuality. He talks about our thought life. And he talks about our motives. So when you get into this next part of the, the book, you're gonna wanna make a list of things that you can do or not do. And I wanna kind of take here and sort of set up the frame. We're gonna talk about um, two topics. Topic one and topic two. And because I have attention problems, I'm going to start with topic two. And this is next week's. And the topic is that of self-control. And what most of us think when you hear, hey, lay aside falsehood. Uh, uh, don't, don't be angry or, or control your tongue or your words or watch your movie. Most of us start thinking that there's some list of things that you need to do or stop doing. And that's going to be your desire, your press for self-control. This is not what we're talking about. This idea that Paul is introducing us to is something far more profound. It's about giving us a vision, a vision for what um, this new humanity is to look like, is to be for us to get acclimated into something that is new and unfamiliar. So before you get to a list of behaviors about your life, I want you, I want us to sort of back up and see something or observe this from a little different perspective. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 22, let's put this back up there and read it. I want to make some kind of notes for us. You were taught with reference to your former way of life. If something is new, it by default means that there is something old, right? It replaces something. To lay aside the old man who is being corrupted. This old way is, is, is prone to corruption by deceitful desires. We've talked about this. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Did you notice this? To lay aside this, these old practices, which, which sounds like this. But then the, what's the next part? To do what? To, you can say it out loud, to be renewed. Where? In your head. I mean, this is, this is the way Paul presents this. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of our mind. This is just it again. By the renewing of the spirit of our mind and to put on a new man. To put on the new man, 
uh, which has been created in God's image. When I made these observations, I said I made a, a list. Uh, number one, I would say it like this. Number one is to put off the old self. And what that means you have to look and say to put off the old self is the place where I am affected by deceptive desires. I don't know if you have that category in your world. I've got a category. I know there are places and ways in my particular makeup that I am very prone to talking myself into things that I have no business saying or doing or thinking. They're prone to deceptive desires. That's the part I've got to put off. And then he says to be renewed by the spirit of our mind, that there's a transformative thing in the way we think and see and understand the world around us. This is the big, the big idea, to put off the old self which is being renewed and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. A lot of us get to the third part where it says to put on the new self, which you're like, I'm gonna just put, put it on. You're gonna like, put it on like clothes. And, and the idea of putting on the new self isn't about this effort to put on a coat that doesn't quite fit right. It literally means to just basically assume the position that you've been given. To put on the new man, to put on the new humanity says, step in to the way in which you've been created, the way in which you belong. It's a very different way of thinking. This is why we gotta sort of, sort of begin to separate these two ideas. Now there are skills that go along with each of these and we'll talk about that in, in just a minute. Normally what I would say is, you know what the skill needed for self-control is? And you would say, no, and I'd say, I'll tell you next week and then everybody gets mad. So I'm not gonna do that, I'm just gonna tell you what it is. The skill that is needed for self-control isn't willpower, it's dependence. To learn how to trust is a skill that must be developed. If you're gonna learn how to live in this new unfamiliar way. Because what you've learned to trust is the old way in which you can get things done. Anybody ever, like you just have a history of getting things done because you're harsh and you're mean and you're direct and you just, boom, get things done and you turn over a new leaf and you decide, I'm just gonna be nice to everybody. And then you're nice to everybody and nothing gets done. And what do you do? You go back to the way that you were. Why? Because it's the way you could exercise your will. So this is always gonna be available to us with your kids, with your husband or your wife, with, I mean, with everything, it's always gonna be available. So we've gotta have something new. And this is what the second topic really is. The sec second topic Topic one, skill required. Topic two, and this is a fun one. This is what we all signed up for, right? A lot of you said, I came to find myself. Jesus said, no, you came to die to yourself. It's a little bit different. This is the reason I, I'm using Jesus' words in this. Because what we, what we tend to think is that there's this new, we think that God's gonna improve us. And the language is that you are born again. The language of the gospel is that there is a death and then a resurrection. That's what the gospel is and does. And Jesus would say this after he talked about a lot of different ways in which you navigate the world. He says to all the people who are gathered, if anyone would come after me, if you wanna walk in this new way, if anyone, would, Luke 9, 23, if you wanna come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow and walk. Stay close and connected and abide to deny himself. Now, a lot of us have grown up thinking this idea of denying ourselves is just about, I'm just going to not have fun doing anything. And you just turn into like, Lord, have mercy on all of us. 
And, and you, just, you, haven't, you, you just think anything that is fun or pursue, you just have to sort of deny that. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Self-denial isn't about sort of punishing yourself or making yourself feel bad about things. Um, it really is about your identity. It's, it's, it's refusing to be governed by any other identity that isn't this. Now, I want you to consider that for a second. I'm a father and a pastor, and you have all kinds of ways we identify ourselves. And what this is about is all of those become submissive, yielded to a new king and his kingdom. That's, that's the picture that you got to get to. Like, you don't, you, don't, you don't get to do all of this without this first, to deny ourselves. Paul would write this another way in his letter to the Galatians. He would say this, that I am crucified with Christ. That was his language. I am crucified with Christ. It is, this is Galatians 2.20, we'll put that up on the screen. That I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live, how do I live it? By faith. This life I live, I live by learning how to depend and trust in who he is. But it requires first this crucifixion. That I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The whole idea, what we're, what we're working on, is we talk about discipleship and becoming followers, becoming formed into the image of, of God and his son Jesus and all the language that we use around this. What we're trying to understand is that this has to become more normal and less foreign. If I lived in India my whole life, do you think it's possible I could get used to driving there? Perhaps. Perhaps. But if I did it enough, at some point it would at least become more normal unless, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, right? It It would become something different. And so we walk in this, this is the way of the kingdom. We are born again. And the goal as we walk in this is for God's kingdom to become more normal and less foreign. And right now it's, it's a little foreign to us at times, if we're really honest. Like loving people isn't our natural response. A lot of us think we're good at love. I thought I was good at love too. I'm good at love when I'm by myself on the beach. I'm good at love. When I have to get around people, all of a sudden it gets a little bit more difficult. But this is exactly the process that we've been sort of bought into. He created a new, he has put all the things in the body, he is putting us together so that we are, it is in himself. It is in him, it is our new identity in him. And therefore every other identity that we choose or buy into or give weight has to be diminished or crucified in order to experience the one that we have been given So the skill that's needed, you're all going, what is the skill? What is the skill? Right? That's what you were thinking. It's really interesting as I was thinking about this. The skill is discernment. For you to know what things are old way and which things are new way. How do you know what to put aside and how do you know what to put on? How do you know which thing is of you and which thing is of God? How do you know? How do you figure this out? How do you know where to go to school? How do you know who to marry? How do you know whether or not you should get married? How do you know which car to buy? How do you know how much money to give? How do you know? How do you know all these things? I remember wrestling with this in my own journey, right? There's a, there's, to discern means to separate, to look at, to, to mind, to test, 
to give approval to. There's a determination to it, both and there's a tenacity that's required, and there's also some actual clarity that is to be gained. But discernment is so important. The, the issues that we navigate as a church are exceedingly complex. I grew up thinking that faith was black and white. I heard this my whole life. Well, it's just black and white. Just black and white. Anybody grew up like that? Or some of you still think that way. If you think things are black and white, it's because you don't have good perspective. I don't mean to offend anybody. But this is my own journey. I had all the rules, all the issues, all the things correct. If you had a conversation with me, I could pretty much slice you up and convince you that I was right and destroy you in the process. And I began to think, is this really what it means to live out this identity that God has called me into? Am I helping people find this? Am I living this out of my own life? So it's probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. I don't know, I can't remember the time frame. It runs together. I could go look it up. Because y'all know I keep a journal. Did y'all know that? I keep a journal, just in case you're unclear. I do not do it because I'm spiritual. I do it because I am not as smart as I need to be. That's why I do it. I can't remember things. I think too fast about things. I respond to things emotionally, so I keep a journal. Someone asked me this past week. They said, Mike, what's the one kind of thing, that tool that you have found that would be helpful to someone sort of paying attention to their inner world? Anybody want to guess what I said? I said journal three times. I said journal, journal, journal. I said it three times. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, again, if you don't journal, it's fine, you should, but whatever. But I do it. So years ago, and they're not, and they're not like clever. Like some of you will read and go, dude, that's really brilliant. Most of you are going to read and go, what was he thinking? Well, you're never going to read it because I'm going to burn him before I die. Because <clears throat> then you'll know I was crazier than you thought that I was. So I went to the art store um, about 15 years ago and I bought a pack of gray markers. Gray like sketch markers. You know why? So I could journal with them. And I began to do this. Do you know why I did that? Any guesses? To remind myself that the world is not black and white. I had to, because everything I was doing, I was going, this fits here, this fits there. And you get these really clear answers and realize they don't actually pan out in the real world where we live. And Jesus knew this. If you can read the way he wrote, I mean, you can read how he, he, I don't have time to get into that, but you get the idea. And what happens to us, especially the more sort of closed we get, we, we become afraid if we don't see the world in black and white, we're going to sort of forsake the truth. What I would tell you is if you can get away from the black and white, you're actually going to find ways to embrace the truth, to discern, to discern. I could give you story after story after story after story that you would say, oh, if this is the issue, here's what I would do. And I'd tell you a story, you go, I don't think I would do it that way. You know why? Because it's not black and white. There's a measure of saying, God, what are you doing in this moment? What, what are you doing? How do, I, how do I discern? Is this something that is this an old way, an old man, or is this a part of the new humanity? How do I know this thing? So here's three things I want to give you as we close to tell you this is what, this is what I would tell you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to develop this. And journaling is a part of it, but I'm not going to tell you to do that today. Because what it says, and look at this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. And this is just later on in the letter. We're going to cover this in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Paul continues, I says, I want you to walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found um, in all that is good and all that is right and all that is true. All that is good. You know all that is good. You know all that is right and all that is true. And look what he says next. And do what? 
Didn't say it? Try to discern. Now, I know all of us who watch Star Wars, we're freaking out because Yoda said, there is no try. There is do or there is do not. And that's what a lot of us think. So there is, there is do discern or don't discern. There is no try. And Paul's like, no, 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 you gotta try. You gotta learn how to do this. Do you know why? Because you are moving into places that are unfamiliar and your tendency is gonna be to go back to the things that are most familiar, most accessible to you. And Paul has said, that is, you have to deny yourself and take up his identity in his way and his will. And to know what that is requires incredible care and attention. To know what that is. So here's what I do. Number one, read the Bible. Read scriptures. Read scriptures. Um, I don't say this flippantly because I wouldn't start in Genesis if I were you. I mean, I wouldn't start in Leviticus if I were you. Genesis is a good place to start. But maybe John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And you read that, and it sounds foreign to you. Do you know why? Because it's unfamiliar. And, and, and the imagery that's given in the Bible, this is, comes, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Eat This Book. It's out of the imagery of Revelation, where uh, the vision that John sees is given the scroll, and he eats it. I love this imagery. If you're ADD, you'll love this, because you just take it, and you, you eat it. You're like, you got to drink it in. you got to... And I write it down and I, you muse on it and you think about it and you chew on it. When I'm talking about reading, I'm not talking about just like, oh, I read Proverbs 1, check it off. I don't try to read the Bible in a year. I don't try to read a proverb a day. I read just enough to say, God, can you show me something? Can you help me see something? To read the scriptures, to read them, to read them slowly. When I can't settle, I write them out in my journal longhand. Because I, I believe so deeply that if I don't, slow, if I don't have a renewal of my mind, I am not going to step into the identity that I've been given. I, I just fundamentally believe that. Number two is reflect on what you see. When you read this, reflect on what you see. How does it shape the way that you interact with other people? How does it shape the way you think about issues? A lot of us, we end up reading the Bible and finding things that we are already looking for to buttress the case that we've already been making. We don't see anything new. We don't see anything fresh. How does this shape the things that you care about? Are there things that you don't yet care about that you think that you might because you're being formed in the image of Jesus Christ, because you're stepping into a new humanity? Are there things that you care about deeply that you think you might not be able to care about, you might not care about as much because you're being shaped in the image of God? I thought about this. You ever wonder why you care so much that people get in front of you in traffic? You ever thought about that? You're driving along, someone gets in front of you, cuts you off, you're whoa. Nobody else gets aggressive when people are like, you're like counting the red lights and seeing if they're further ahead. Does anybody do this? Or if you get to a four-way stop and you stopped and that person rolled stopped and they went through, the injustice, I mean, you like pull out after them. I'm gonna chase you down. We're gonna have some words. Nobody else does that except me. Yeah. So I don't do that anymore. Here's what I learned. I don't have to care about that. Like, I don't care if you get in front of me in traffic. I get a choice. I don't care. What I learned is you, don't, you can't lose a game you're not playing. Like, that's a freeing thing to be able to deal with. But a lot of us never learn this because we never have what, we, what we've cared about is just basically based on whatever we have happened to experience in the past. We haven't learned how to, how does what God is doing in a shape the way we care about the people around us, about the world around us, about 
the way we interact in the world around us. And then third, and this is perhaps maybe the, I won't say most important, but it, it kind of brings hope to everything else, is to speak truthfully with someone you trust, with. I, mean, I mentioned Clay earlier, Rick and Richie and Laurelyn, and there's a, you know, my, my kids. I mean, there's a ton of people that we, we talk all the time about all kinds of things. We talk about all the issues. We talk about all, we talk about all of it. Because I want to know, Lord, what are you doing? Help me discern what are you doing? Help me understand what are you doing? Help me understand how I can flesh out your life here in this world through the authority that you have given to me. I'm not trying to minimize behavior by saying, oh, we just need to kind of let truth be. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not your truth. It's not you find your truth and tell your truth. It's that Jesus is the truth and we submit to that. that that's the whole thing. What a lot of people are afraid of is when you think that the truth isn't black and white, it gets sort of watered down or minimized. And what I found is when the truth stops being black and white, you know what happens? It actually gets colored. It gets colored. It gets flesh. It gets blood. It gets reality. It gets beauty. It gets hope. It gets fullness. What I've learned is that the gospel that I am that is just continually unfolding is the most compelling driver in my life. I don't share the gospel because I'm afraid. Someone, man, I'm gonna share the gospel because like, there is nothing more compelling than this. God made you and he came to redeem you into the way in which you have been made and throw off all the other stuff and step into what he has done. In him, he is creating a new humanity. Now think about this, and this is how I'm gonna close. In our world, people don't trust anything anymore. Right, you notice this? They don't trust institutions, they don't trust, you know, big, you know, the government, big tech, they don't trust corporations, you just, the list goes on of all the things we don't trust anymore. And it's just eroded everything. What if in him we, there's this new humanity that emerges that becomes a light for the world in a city on a hill that cannot be hidden? Do you, do you think, like, do you see the hope and the, the draw of what we've been invited into? It's going to take a ton of work. Y'all, as a church, it's easy to draw a crowd. It's easy to entertain people and sing good songs. It takes some skill, but it's not hard. What's hard is rolling up your sleeves and getting into each other's lives and wrestling with what God's doing and being committed to being obedient to what God is doing and to do it with each other and for each other and for the world. That's what's hard. And that's what I think God has called us to, and that is exactly why he has called us together. It's gonna to take guts, and it's gonna take a whole lot of work. So there's your good news, how's that? Father, would you help us? Would you give us a vision that is so deep? Would you love us so fully that we are compelled? Would your grace be so overwhelming 
that righteousness and holiness would just be come, come, become normal. God, would we deny ourselves and take up our cross and live out the identity we have been given and the purpose for which we have been created to bear witness to your love and to live it out in the fullness of our lives. I left all of these things to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our king. Amen.